0: It's Bigfoot Collectors Club with Bryce and Michael.
1: I know a ghost story or two. Let's do this. so stupid <laughs> i feel like he's eating something there <laughs> like a bigfoot cookie or something i just thought
2: that pete gardner's take on sasquatch is just a little mischievous it is hi guys it's uh bigfoot collectors club i'm your host michael mcmillan with me always is your other host bryce johnson and uh, we're just gonna get into it because we got two great guests today i do not want to keep them from your ear holes no. Uh fresh from well, I was gonna say New Zealand, but only one of you is now fresh from New Zealand. The other's fresh from New York City. Ooh. We have from one of my all-time favorite podcasts, uh, two very lovely gentlemen. We have uh, from The Worst Idea of All Time, we have Tim Bett and Guy Montgomery. All right. Hey. What's up? Great to be here, guys. Thank you so much for hey, having us. Thank you so much for, for being here. This is a this is a rare delight because you guys aren't ever in California.
3: That really, is, really. you know, demonstrably untrue, Michael. <laughs> no, you're never <laughs> here. <Tell laughs> You've us about never that. been here. <laughs> a podcast about the supernatural right <laughs> wherein you deny what is happening in the room <laughs> yeah. in front of you. Oh,
2: oh yeah. There, I have no credibility as a host for this show.
4: <laughs> and I'd say as well, your intro music—that that that, uh, that great voice that you had—it sounded like the ghost of Randy Savage.
2: <laughs> That's Pete Gardner, who's a castmate on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and he was our first guest, and he will be very very uh pleased to hear that that right. compliment.
1: Oh yeah, top mm. of Bigfoot. Oh, That's yeah. ta- <laughs> From why the top
2: buckle. Why wasn't there a Bigfoot themed uh, pro wrestler in the 80s? That seems there was a Bigfoot themed uh monster truck in the 80s. There yeah. should have been a Bigfoot themed pro wrestler. What was the what was the monster truck called? Bigfoot. Bigfoot. <laughs> It was big, a. Yep. It no, was called it. Bigfoot. It was a big blue and purple, yeah, like uh, monster truck with giant wheels, and you would go Fan to Mon- favorite. Did yeah, have- you would go to monster truck rally, and it would crush. It would ride over all the, the strapper cars. And here, no, on it? I wish it. It was just called Bigfoot, Was it
4: I- always the one car, or was this kind of like a franchise no, brand? Just the,
1: you, 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 I think it's like Shamu at the whale at uh, yeah. SeaWorld. Like they would change the cars, but it was always Bigfoot was the brand, and. Ye- Oh, they would change. I thought it was one car like Herbie, but yep. it was a big truck. Well, I'm sure they, like, upgraded it and, like, you know.
2: All they- I remember is when I was a kid, I was so <laughs> pissed because we had a thing called Dynamite Magazine. I don't know if you guys have that
3: in New Zealand. The Dynamite Magazine. Yeah, yeah, man. It's like they the super 80s thing. Jerk it to you know, TNT and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that gunpowder. We had the mag.
1: Yeah.
2: They're familiar. But it was a thing you, you would get – your teacher would hand out to you in, in, in class, and you could order books and folders and trapper keepers. And they didn't have a photo, but they said Bigfoot folder, and I thought they meant Bigfoot, our favorite cryptid. Hmm. And I got it when the books arrived. I got it, and it was a monster truck. And oh, I was you're
1: pissed. pissed.
3: I was yeah. like, I don't like that's, this. That's great because monster trucks uh, – when you were describing what Bigfoot the monster truck did, I was like, "This is so America! It's so waste! It's like, hey, yeah. we made a big car to destroy all of the pathetic loser <laughs> little cars, yeah. Some of which are probably still functional." And you
2: wonder why Trump's our president right now? Yeah, welcome to America. Yeah, thank you. Um, so Bryce, I got an article from my father this week, who's clearly listening to this uh,
3: podcast and quietly shaming me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you gotta you and got to stop. No, as as another person whose father is, you know, message to let them, me know I'm listening, like notes, but still he's listening.
2: Yeah, I got without comment. He just sent me an article uh, that basically the headline was. Uh scientists test Yeti DNA, find out, find bears. Right. So he's basically just trolling that this thing, this passion of mine is just going <laughs> it's just really about bears. It's it be it be just very main. It's
1: very main of your father. Yeah, I go, come on. I was like, what's up? This is a buzzkill. Right. Um and it's supposed it, to be like all you know, since it's from the Washington Post, it's just like yeah. stamped. It's like, you're done.
2: Everything yeah, you've ever believed. Pack up the clubhouse <laughs> now. You're tell right. your dumb friends you guys are losers. You're right. Get in the because here comes my proverbial bigfoot truck to crush all of you wimps. <laughs> is, mm-hmm. that, is that
3: our role as guests this week to just pack down the studio? Yeah,
2: actually, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. If you guys don't mind taking a few items with you on the yeah, way out, this is out, our we'd last one, guys. It. It's pretty much debunked um, now. But uh, yeah, so I guess they did all these tests on on yeti bones and fur that they collected in uh, Eastern Europe and russia and Mm -hmm. and they just turned out to be bear fur and a dog's tooth and and bones but it's one of those articles it's like okay so these samples are obviously this but this doesn't erase all the weird stories and encounters that people have had forever so i hate it when people send me stuff like this and like see
1: it's just bears and it's like well you haven't read all the that's Crazy the vo- story. that's the voice of the skeptic, isn't it? They'll send you one article and this be like, this does the entirety of UFO kingdom and you're, and, and it. and you're just like, no, 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 it doesn't. You know that doesn't just you know re- refute the accounts of so many. It's just one little article some guy wrote and. And in fact, part
2: of the article supports cryptozoology because some of them, were, they were supposedly surprised that they right. found some of these species of bears that they didn't know actually existed in those parts of the well, country. In, in
1: 2013, 13, national Ge- uh, scientists had discovered what they thought was an extinct polar bear species uh, roaming the, the, the vast north of the Tibetan mountains. So they know now that there is a a polar bear up there that they thought was extinct but uh so now everybody's throwing that the way to oh there's your yeti you know but, but that that to me says guys there's still a lot to discover out there sure we finding
3: think- a new polar a, a polar bear that's thought to be extinct is exciting that yeah, is exciting exactly. especially since
4: they're all going extinct right now we're losing all those guys i know yeah. we have to find some more we've got a um a couple of pretty decent extinct species in New Zealand that i hope we this find this is at exactly some point. what i wanted to get to you guys must have some weird stuff down there so Generally, all of the animals that are in New Zealand are a bit rubbish because they've evolved. It's kind of like the Galapagos, except all of the animals, instead of being interesting, are just shit and defenseless.
3: <laughs> it's, it's literally what evolution does if you remove all land predators, is all of the birds lose the power of flight. Yeah, Our, our national emblem, the Kiwi,
4: is a flightless bird. It's like, what are you even it's, doing? It's right. also
3: it's blind. And nocturnal. <laughs> just like the what difference does it make, bird? <laughs> we,
4: we keep trying to save them because they're very endangered, obviously. Oh, uh, man. but it's like maybe we
3: should just right. but anyway, so there's there natural selection, be...
2: let it play out.
3: <laughs> well <laughs> wow. This this is the crazy thing, is this is how natural selection has played out in New Zealand, in spite of the fact, which I think what you're about to say, Tim, we used to have some of the, the most dope birds. We had the biggest birds, man. You guys was... there was a there was a bird called the Moa. Which
4: yeah. didn't fly, but it's like a kind of a huge chicken ostrich. It's kind of like kind of an thing. emu. Yeah, it's
3: larger than an emu. It was. Big, I think it's bigger than an ostrich.
4: It grew to. Um, from memory, they reckon they were like two and a half feet, uh, two and a half meters tall, which would be seven. A, a very tall basket, basc- probably taller than most basketball, nearly all basketball players. But what about cool, <laughs> the cool thing about the moa is that it was the food source for this even bigger bird called the Haast eagle, and it is the largest bird. I think
3: that's ever existed on earth. The largest bird of prey. So this, the harst eagle, would live on the moa, and it would swoop down and like, and it's talons. Oh,
2: it ate the moa. Yeah. Yeah. So when the humans
4: came to New Zealand and ate all the moa, it wiped out the harst eagle because nothing else could sustain it because their bodies were so huge. But they reckon if harst eagles were still alive in New Zealand, they would be a legitimate threat to babies. So, like, they would just pick up
2: human children and eat yeah. them. So, two things. One, uh, your nation's version of Planet of the Apes is actually about eagle people that have
1: <laughs> come back and destroyed the human race in the future.
3: Birds are scary as well. And they
1: They're are scared. closely related to dinosaurs, more so than oh, alligators. they are dinosaurs. Yeah, basically. I think. No, it's the same thing.
3: Uh, is a chicken a dinosaur? Yeah, it is. That's My right. sister
1: has chickens
2: and those look like – they are like little dinosaurs running Why around. Why
3: are we not promoting that as dinosaur meat?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
2: That a, is a way bit of pitch. That's a yeah, way chicken. to get
1: kids to eat their – Dino you nuggets. You have kids? Yeah,
2: dinosaur nuggets. <laughs> uh, but, the, but there are tales in the American West, Old West, of the Thunderbird. The Thunderbird is a big Native American symbol. But there are stories of these giant, like, uh, 17-foot wingspan birds – uh, there's a story uh, I'm not going to be able to cite it specifically, but I think it was like in Nebraska in the 70s or 80s of a, of a woman coming out and seeing her toddler being picked up by one of these giant birds. Oh my god! And she actually ripped him free Whoa. and saved him. But there were supposedly stories of these giant birds back when the, the when the, uh, you know like we were settling. Uh, the West, they would see these giant raptors that were called the the natives called thunderbirds. And there's a theory out there that some of these birds were actually pterodactyls that had uh, survived in certain
1: areas of the world and yeah. before they'd actually all died off. You should tell your dad that. It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's like if they're newly discovered polar bears, there can be newly dis- leftover un- uncovered uh, pterodactyls as well. You know, well, I
4: they- would love that. So much. Oh, so <laughs> cool.
2: The best.
1: Yeah, so I think that there's possible,
2: you know, it's a possibility that some of these extinct species were living much longer than we knew and, and made their way into folklore. And I think Bigfoot is one of those, you have Gigantopithecus and some of these old primal, big, huge, uh, bipedal simians that I think maybe were still hanging around. If not today, were 200, 300, 400 years ago, and the native people just knew about it, and then eventually maybe they died off or their num- numbers dwindled down to what they are today, and we'll actually talk about that in the story. Uh, but, uh, but I love that stuff, that some of this stuff could actually be just creatures, animals that survived yeah. the, extinction. The,
3: I mean, the idea that pterodactyls... I also love the idea that pterodactyls would be alive today, but I feel... <laughs> You guys have... You know the movies, right? The yeah. Jurassic Park movies. Yeah. It's, it's like... It's such a... It's a luxury afforded to the the world's greatest apex predator to be like, yeah, wouldn't it be crazy if there was something that could <laughs> fuck us up too? Like, <laughs>
2: it's it's like, true. It really is like a... It's sort of like a, a weird sadomasochistic it's
4: fan, uh, fantasy. It's human privilege Ooh, is what it is. God. We need to check it, I
2: think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's actually... Apologies j- to any, you know, still living pterodactyls out there. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to see a picture of cowboys shooting at pterodactyls. On the
4: prairie, there's um real quickly because this is the hometown of both Guy and I in Christchurch. There's a, a a black panther that no one can figure out what it's doing there, or possibly if it exists, called the Canterbury cat that just stalks around. And uh, yeah, there's a couple photos of it, and it's one of those cool things where it's like, is this something that hung around longer than it should have, or did it escape from a zoo? No right. one knows why it's, it's there. It should not be there.
2: Well, there are stories of big black cats here in the U.S. as well. And they used to there used to be panthers that roamed all the way up through uh, like the 1800s, and they got killed off when settlers. There's in in a uh, little house on the prairie. There's a whole chapter about Laura Ingalls Wilder's uh tells a story about her grandfather when he was a boy, his father, when they lived in a cabin somewhere in the in the old you know Midwest, was chased by a Black Panther up a tree and they had to shoot and kill it. So up to three or four or five generations back, there were still big cats well, like that. But
3: so the what well in New Zealand though, there's no history of these oh, these cats being right. there in the first place. But this one is the only one with enough of a groundswell of evidence to like spark you know, maybe it's a spirit. Maybe Yeah, a good, I mean, well,
1: it could be. I subscribe to the theory that sometimes maybe these crypto animals can move in and out through different realities or perhaps, you know, sail through dimensions or something. Who knows, you know? He could have come through a portal. Sure, why not? Or I maybe ju- he's a good swimmer. Yeah.
3: It's unlikely. Has but- anybody gotten a look at the feet? Are they actually big flippers? <laughs> no, no one has seen, there's no close-ups of the feet or the cat itself. But from the distance, you can make out a very distinct black smudge.
2: Do you think that it's maybe a a witch's familiar sending its spirit out to haunt the people of Canterbury? Quite possible. It could be. We actually,
4: there's a wizard there. Maybe it's his. There's the Canterbury Wizard. Maybe he put it there. You're burying the lead. Who's the
2: Canterbury Wizard?
4: Oh, so we. uh, (laughs) He's this guy who decided like decades ago to um, be the official wizard. Of Christchurch originally, and I think he's got some sort of official title that he is the Wizard of New Zealand.
3: And you're yeah, growing up, he's like an icon in Christchurch. You'd go to the Cathedral Square, and the Wizard would do one of his big speeches. And whenever there's a census, he'd always he always goes out to international waters so he's not on on the books. But, but he really, ca- he casts a lot of spells. He tries to help out if there's like a drought or whatever. He'll cast some
2: rain spells and. Yeah, he's a good guy. Really good guy. I was just telling uh, Bryce and Riley in the studio before you came in that when I turn 70, I'm going to proclaim myself a wizard and I'm going to grow a long white beard. Fantastic. And I'm just going to be an old kooky man for the final two decades of my life. I love that. 90? <laughs>
0: That's a yeah, good Yeah, i am going to man. 90.
2: I'm probably going to go to 90. I mean, if I'm lucky, I'll, I don't think I'm going to... I, I did some... Guys, I did some real hard living in high school. I don't think I got an extra. I don't think I'm going to make it to 100. It's <laughs> a freebie. Anything before 21 is uh, you bounce back. That's <laughs> yeah. fine. It doesn't count. Oh, my gosh. So Okay, so you guys ha- uh, have no paranormal experiences of your own. You've uh, never had anything spooky happen or seen weird lights in the sky. I've, I've had that as a kid. All right, great.
1: Seen Let's weird lights it. in the sky?
4: In Christchurch, I think I was about. Mm, eight or nine years old, and I was just looking out the window, and I think what I, what I saw first off, I thought it was like a meteor shower because it was a, like a collection of white lights just kind of travelling through the the night sky, and but then it just they kept being there, and mm. they kept being more and more. It was crazy. Did
1: anybody else see that, or
4: um, I can't remember. I remember getting really freaked out. <laughs> yeah. After a while, when they kept going, so I think I like got up and told my mum, and she closed the curtain. Which was the solution
1: Oh yeah (laughs) That's
4: a good fix
2: I mean, it is the quickest fix, really. Just don't look way. at it.
4: But, but
1: in some ways, a great metaphor, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah. No. Really? Yeah. We got to pull back that. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to pull the curtain back open. Yeah.
1: I was reading about some another uh, case of a UFO in in uh, in and around Topanga Canyon, and and these two had gotten out their car to literally watch this saucer like light move about the sky, and their friends in the back seat would see it, but they but they just wouldn't admit to it. They'd just be like, I don't know what that is. Oh, it's so creepy, right? I know, weird. So what were you doing? And then so. So they just wouldn't look at it. They wouldn't get out of the car. They wouldn't like acknowledge it, but they'd be just like, what is that? They kept saying that, right? It's like, so you're either like going to look at something yeah. or you're like not, you know? Yeah. Pick a side. Right. You don't, a side. you don't get
3: to not check it out
2: and just dismiss it. <laughs> right. You can go, that's a helicopter. That's right. fine. And then you can argue about it, but you can't, you can't just be like, eh. Yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Guy, nothing? You got nothing? I, I've been racking. Since I've known we were appearing. I've been trying to think of anything. But if I was to say anything, it will be manu- manufactured. I used to – it's not paranormal, but I was convinced that when I'd flush the toilet, that snakes would come out. <laughs> and so I'd run from the toilet. If I could get on top of the bed before uh, the toilet – finished. because the toilet was next to my room. Before the toilet finished flushing, then the snakes weren't allowed to to come at me. But and, and I was convinced, you know. Well, I mean, you did grow up with a wizard in your hometown who could have done that. Well, I guess he had the magic. He's like he's a you know he's a, um, a benevolent, benevolent wizard. Exactly.
2: Yeah, but you know, if there's one good wizard, there's always one bad wizard. There's a shadow wizard that you do not know about, right? Yeah, maybe well, it's the cat. It could well be.
0: It's <laughs> freaky. I just
4: I think I actually scared Tim. Yeah, you did. Well, <laughs> but uh, New Zealand's not without its UFO. Incidents though Do you guys know About any of those
2: I haven't There's actually And I know this is not New Zealand But it's a neighbor Of New Zealand There's a great Documentary on Netflix Right now Called Australian Skies That shows a bunch Of great footage And I was actually Going to ask you guys If you guys had as much Activity down there
3: Australia I think Would be better suited To a show like Like Mm. you know Australia is like America In that you go Into the middle And there's just You know nothing But sky and dirt Mm -hmm. For a
4: while no light pollution, but we did have an incident that was caught up by a a film crew, a news film crew in nineteen seventy nine, I think it was, called the called the, uh, the Kaikoura Lights. Oh, which interesting! Is the name of the place where it is, and it was yeah, I think it was a film crew, like a news film crew, were in an aeroplane to cover something else and then they followed these lights for quite a while and there's there's very good like footage of it
1: yeah they um, took a news reporter up there right he exactly. shot his camera out the window yeah i mean he reported live on it too right and so they got pretty good footage of it didn't it, they
4: i think i think you can like yeah i think the footage is out there you could probably see it on um youtube but it's they yeah, they've followed it for a long time, and there's never been, I think, a, yeah, I like satisfying that story. official account. Did they?
2: That, were it, there it, ever, ever any like alien encounters associated with the lights, like weird creatures
4: or Not close heard. encounters? Not that I've heard. But we've got a lot of people we
2: dismiss out of hand in New Zealand, so <laughs> very dismissive people.
1: No, but I remember hearing something about that. You guys, so you just
2: walk, down the neighbor, or just walk down the street, you just see everybody closing the curtains exactly. as you walk by. <laughs> That's yeah. what we deal with.
1: No, it. I remember what I loved about this case was the light was in the sky. The The newsman called the reporter. They changed the subject of the story or, or something like that. I might be, you know, but then they actually chased the UFO and made it part of the, the news story. Wow. You know? They're
4: recording apparently background of... I have to confess, I'm Googling it now. No, that's Uh, fine. I'm going to do
1: a story on that.
4: Sounds great. It happened on the 30th of December
3: 1978, and it was a film crew from Australia. Can I say, from memory, 1979 is a pull? I mean, you were so close. Dude, that's (laughs) amazing. (laughs) That's two days off. Not bad.
4: Recorded background film for a network show of interviews about sightings. Okay. For many minutes at a time, is this okay for me to just read? Yeah, three? no, please. Yeah. Okay, I'll do a bit. You're in the job clubhouse, the no, man. No. You're a
2: guest in our clubhouse. That's you, right. If you got it, you, you take take the lead here. For many minutes at a time on the flight to
4: Christchurch, unidentified lights were observed by five people on the flight deck and were also tracked by Wellington air traffic controllers and filmed in colour by the TV crew. One object reportedly followed the aircraft uh, until almost landing. The cargo plane then took off again with the television crew still on board, heading for Blenheim. When the aircraft reached about 2,000 feet, it encountered a gigantic lighted orb, which fell into station off the wingtip and trekked along the cargo ship for almost a quarter of an hour. While being filmed, watched, trekked on the aircraft radar, and described on a tape recording
2: made by the TV film crew. That's wow. incredible. that's got to be one of the most well-documented live
1: encounters. 15 minutes. Think about that. I, that's what also something I remember. Just how long that was. I mean, putting your camera on something like that. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, off- these are pilots, too, so they know what pilot, the plane lights are. Exactly. And, you yeah. know, and these are Exactly. I love when you get, like, testimony like that from, like, radar locks and, like, you know, towers and pilots and just, you know, that's great stuff. I mean, how can love you – you, you know, I often say there's so many skeptics, but, you know, if if you're a skeptic, you really haven't just looked into the evidence. I mean, because there's a treasure trove of, like, evidence just like that that would, like, you know, might put you on the fence about something like that, you know?
4: Yeah, Dad. <laughs> ball lightning gets caught sometimes as as being a UFO, right? Ball lightning when it's in the sky, but it yeah, doesn't come
2: up on radar, right? No, but then it's also, physical... but also that's something that you can look at and go, "That's ball lightning." Yeah, yeah, right. It doesn't you know?
1: like moves, uh, uh, change speeds, you know, come to a stop, move again, yeah, you know, it doesn't do that kind no. of stuff. Okay, uh,
2: we got to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna have our high strangeness story of the week. Yeah.
0: Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
1: Hey, we're back. We're back.
2: And it's time for High Strangeness. Yes. Oh, man. I love, first of all, Tim and Guy are sitting here on the couch. They've got their trail mix. (laughs) Guy's wearing his like camper outfit, I feel like I've got like two of my little boy scouts here that I'm about to tell a story to up in the clubhouse um okay, so this story uh is a very famous bigfoot encounter story cool. and it's one of the original stories this OG. is one this is one that I heard as a kid, and I think actually it- I, I think my sister had a book of bigfoot stories and i remember her telling me the story and looking at the illustrations of the book um this is the story of albert ostman bigfoot captive yeah. so <laughs> awesome. captive captive yeah. oh yeah <laughs> oh, yes This story is gonna it's, be great yeah. dude get ready <laughs> so first of all the story actually took place in uh uh, 1924 near Tobla Inlet
1: in British Columbia, and this is out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, my wife's from there. It is like oh, really? desolate and will not. Well, she's from uh, British Columbia, Vancouver, but I mean, it woods up there. If Bigfoot's going to live somewhere, right. It's going to live up there. Yeah,
3: yeah. It's beautiful climate too.
1: It's you amazing. Know, great opportunity to build. Great a nice bud. Yeah. Great bud. Yeah, um, everything you need.
2: Yeah, Bigfoot's got some access and some real dank weed. <laughs> that stank is good. Uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, But uh, and there's lots of great British uh, Columbia Bigfoot stories and encounters and. The, while this took place – this is interesting because it took place in 1924, and Albert Ostman did not report it until the late 50s when other stories started coming out. There was a guy named William Rowe, I believe, who had a, an encounter in 1957 where he had seen a female Bigfoot, and he had his gun on her, and he couldn't shoot her because she looked too human. Mm. And it kind of broke his heart, but he was like, I could shoot this thing right now, and he – supposedly let it go. And Roe's story became very popular that, um, that Albert Ostman, after over 30 years, decided, okay, well, I'll tell my story now. And Ostman was this... He was a woodsman. He was an experienced woodsman. He had worked in construction and logging, and in uh, spring or summer of 1924, he decided to take a vacation from doing logging work and construction work, and his idea of a vacation was to take a steamer out to Lund, British Columbia, and then hike into the woods to search for uh, a rumored abandoned gold mine. Mm-hmm. So he was doing prospecting work. And he hired, when he got to Lund, he hired a uh, what he, he named an old Indian guide to take him out into the woods to, or the area in uh, the inlet where the, the gold mine was said to exist. And while they were setting up camp and uh, the, the native uh, guide had supper with him, he told him, he said, hey, so just so you know, there are the wild hairy men live out here that we call Sasquatch. And Albert had not heard of the Sasquatch before, and he was like, listen, there may or may not be giants, but if there were, they don't exist anymore, and I ain't afraid of them. And the guide said, well, their numbers may have dwindled, but they do exist out here, and you just need to know that. And he was like, whatever. Right. So he spent a couple. The, the Indian guide left, and Albert set up camp. And he spent a couple days uh, just prospecting and looking for this mine and getting deeper and deeper into the woods, and not finding the mine. And just kind of hunting. And he's got he's got gear with him. He's carrying everything on his back. He's got his tent. He's got his tack. He's got his uh, his snuff. He's got his rifle. He's got like a thirty gauge rifle. He's got pots and pans. He's a survivalist. This dude knows what he's doing in the woods. And it's great when you hear the story because he's very – you can read his own accounting of the story, and it's very charming. And he has so many small details that he remembers. And so his mind seems very, very, very sharp. Uh, so after a couple of days of hiking and looking for trails he, that, he, that he's like, oh, I can't find anything, he just he found an um, a, a ideal campsite, and he sets up camp. And the first night – after the first night, he wakes up. This is like day three on his trip. He looks around and he realizes that something's been rummaging around in his campsite. And he, he's excited because he's hoping it's a porcupine because apparently Albert liked porky stew. And so he said, well, I got a critter hanging around here. I'll, I'll catch him and I'll, I'll make a nice stew. Sure, a little porcupine stew. Right. So the next night, and he says uh, he said that he was a very heavy sleeper. So it, was, it didn't surprise him that something had come into camp and rummaged around and not woken him up. The second night... Uh, The second morning in this campsite He wakes up And his bag that he had hung on a pole To keep away from animals Had been dumped out It was as if somebody had just dumped it, Tipped it over and dumped it out And then re-hung the empty bag back on the pole And he goes, well, a porcupine didn't do that And he goes, it wouldn't be a bear Because bears really trash the entire campsite He's like, I got a visitor And I don't know what this is and he goes. Well, I'm going to stake out my spot. And of course, old Albert—he's just such a heavy sleeper. He falls asleep again. Uh, he can't make it through the night. Falls asleep. So after the third night, uh, in the middle of the night, he wakes up to the sensation of being carried in his sleeping bag. Yeah. And he can hear. He's he's you know he's old school. He zips himself all the way up in the sleeping bag, and he's got some supplies in there that he doesn't want taken and he's got his rifle in there as well sure but he feels himself he said he woke up and for a second couldn't remember where he was and then he was like oh right okay i'm prospecting in the woods but he is like upside down with his boots twisted in on his ankle bobbing along hitting bushes and he hears something grunting and carrying him Mm -hmm. So he says that this goes on, this abduction and this travel going. He he's like, okay, I can tell we're going up a mountain. Now we're going down a mountain. Now we're traveling this. Right, he clocked it. He clocked it, and he said this went on for almost three hours, until finally he was after being dragged, carried, flipped around, flumped down on the ground. He pops his head out of his uh, out of his uh, his his sleeping bag, and it's. He, he, he later checked uh, his watch, it was about four four 4.45 in the morning, and the sun is just, just starting to creep over the mountains, and he looks around, and he's surrounded by a family of four giant hairy beasts, and he immediately goes, well, these must be the hairy wild men that this guy was telling me about. He said it was a family of four. There was a male patriarch, mm-hmm. there was a female, and there were two juveniles. That one was a boy and one was a girl. Much like my family. I mean, and that's Just like many families same out there. specifics, you know. Yeah. And there was a little Bigfoot garage and a giant <laughs> Bigfoot truck parked <laughs> out front. <laughs> and he he had been brought to a uh a um like an uh, clearing or a something. clearing that was surrounded by mountains and rock wall. And There was uh it was about ten, eight to ten acres wide. There was a natural spring there. And so it was there was like it was this uh butte almost where there was like one way in through the rock, uh through the mountain walls. And he could see that on the other side of where where he was. But he said that these creatures were chattering to to one another, and it was like Big Papa had was like, Look what I found, look what I brought home. And he said he could tell that the the female was annoyed and distressed that he was there. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But guys, if you haven't figured out, we're the most misogynist <laughs> podcast out there. <laughs> Bitches be crazy. Uh, and then the, the, he said the juveniles were really scared of him. Well, uh, he ends up staying. He tries to get away and the, uh, head towards the exit. And the, and the big guy pushes, pushes him back and says he said he spoke the word soca soca. And they had this like little language. He would pick up on these little words, and he goes, "Okay, well, I gotta." F- they don't seem to want to hurt me or kill me. He almost got the sense that they were like, "You're the pet now." So he spent, according to Albert Ostman, he spent almost six days with this family of Sasquatch, mm-hmm. and uh, he got to the point where the the youngest, the male, started to get a little brave and come around him, and he was very curious about what things, items he had in his backpack and the, 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 um, he showed like the little ones how to like make dippers and dip them into the spring and drink out of cups. And they loved that. Um, and he said that he found, uh, there was, he kind of, he was trying to mostly keep his distance from them, but they would a- a- occasionally ever, you know, a few times a day, come, come and greet him. And the, and the male and female would go, sometimes one of them would always go off to hunt and, And bring stuff back. But he was never allowed. Whichever was the uh, adult. There at the time. Would always block his escape. Of course this is obviously. A bit of an outlandish story. But there's some really cool details in it. And one of them is that the female. Would bring this uh, grass. That he said had these really sweet roots. That they like to suck on and eat. And they offered it to him. And he was like oh it's a very satisfying. Sweet taste to it. Mm -hmm. And he started to theorize that. This wasn't their home, but they might be a nomadic tribe, and they are co- they'd come to this valley during this time of year because that grass was growing, and it was something that they 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 basically were a migration species that would go to wherever the food that they wanted at the time, and the they would sleep on like blankets that he said were were mo- uh, moss and grass that had co- sort of been weaved together, so that they had some sort of intelligence to constructing items for themselves nest. Yeah, and that the kids were very playful and the one this this uh part of the story uh is where I tend to question it a little bit. But he oh, says dang. that the boy I know, <laughs> up to this point it's very solid. But he said What's that,
1: coming. He said that the
2: juvenile had a trick where he liked to play. He would he would hike up his feet in his hands and sit on his butt, and he'd bounce around on his butt. Right, and that was like his fun little
1: move, like a dog wiping its butt. Yeah, after
2: it takes oh, a crap. Oh no, but he would. He says he would bounce. Oh right, bounce around. He said sometimes up to twenty feet. So this is where I start to go. Wait a minute. Sometimes up to twenty. feet? Yeah. Sometimes feet?
3: up to twenty feet. How big is the little Bigfoot relative to? They
2: our- were okay. So the the male patriarch, he was over eight feet tall. The female was over seven feet tall, and then the the juveniles were like five to six feet. Um, and he reckoned they were probably comparable to teenagers. Mm-hmm. Teenage, you know, he doesn't know what their actual lifespan or age was. Um, so, eventually, the uh, oh, he said he said this about about his. This is the story about uh, the the bouncing around. He said uh, about the family. This, this is Albert's quote. Um, when they were not looking for food, the old man and the old lady were resting, but the boy and the girl were always climbing something or some other exercise. A favorite purse uh, position was to take hold of his feet with his hands and balance on his rump, then bounce forward. The idea seems to be to see how far he could go without his feet or hands touching the ground. Sometimes he made 20 feet.
1: Okay, well, it's not like you're saying twenty feet jumping in the air, maybe no, twenty but feet going forward, going like forward. Down the but mountain. This, is, this is a this very a fun it's game. A very
2: tall. This this is when it starts to feel a bit like a tall tale mm. to me. Twenty feet is is very
3: far.
1: Yeah, right. right. But you're kids. You got to do something. I mean, who's not to you're say you're big you
2: would... from the woods? You're boring with your yeah. family all the time. You got to come up with some tricks.
1: And, and then, you know those glutes are strong. Yeah,
2: totally. So uh, the male was very. In, the male juvenile was very interested in Albert's snuff, mm-hmm. and he tried to eat it, and that's when. And Albert, For those
1: of you out there, the snuff is like a uh, like a leaf, loose leaf tobacco you put in your lip, you know. Right. And
2: he tried to eat it, and he re- and Albert stopped him from eating it, knowing that he was going to get sick. And he and he realized, well, wait a minute. Okay, so I'm trying to get it back out of here because his, by the way, his natural f- his food supply that he, he had brought with him was was dwindling, and he knew that he was running out. He was going to be basically now living off the land with these creatures if he d- didn't get away anytime soon. So he hatched a plan wherein he, um, uh, one evening while making coffee, uh, Albert, uh, he, he pretended that his meal was super delicious, and he's like, Mmm, delicious coffee. Mmm, oh, yummy, yummy, yummy. And the Papa Bigfoot got interested in what he was consuming, and he would come over, and he gave the, the Papa Bigfoot the coffee, and he said he drank, drank it down and drank all the dregs. And then Albert pretended to eat the snuff, mm. and the Papa Bigfoot took it away from him, and he licked the snuff tin clean and he said within minutes his eyes started rolling and he started grabbing his tummy and uh falling down to the ground albert grabs his rifle he grabs everything and he the reason why he didn't fire at these things was he only had 6 rounds with him and he was worried about causing something that would uh, you know lead to his death he's got four of these giant things if he can't kill them all you know he may not survive so he didn't want to also he started to respect that there was something human about them and he felt like killing them would actually be tantamount to murder but he thought well if i feed him and he gets sick and he dies and i get away it's his fault for eating the snuff that's how he justified it he literally says this so while the bigfoot is getting sick to his stomach he grabs the stuff and he starts making his way to the exit and the female the mama she tried to stop him and he fired his gun into the air he shot off two rounds and it scared her off so he takes off, and he spends the next two days wandering through the wilderness trying to figure out where he is. And he finally came along a um, a logging camp and found men there. And, uh, he told them that he had been lost in the woods for a week, but he didn't tell them about the Sasquatch because it was 1924. And he was like, if they saw me coming out of the woods and saying I was lost and I had been kidnapped by a family of giant, giant hairy dudes. Right. They're going to think I'm a respectable man. Yeah. he's like, I'm going to be crazy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it wasn't until 1957 when, uh, Bigfoot stories were starting to emerge and the William Rowe incident happened that, um, uh, and that was on Micah Mountain in Alberta, Canada, when Albert finally decided to tell a story to a Canadian reporter by the name of John Green. And John Green was sort of an early cryptozoologist who was a journalist who got into these stories of Bigfoot. He went on to write a few books about Bigfoot, some of the early ones in the 50s. And this is all taking place right now, 10 years before the Robertson uh, uh, or, or the Patterson-Gimlin film is even uh, shot. And... Um, so Green interviewed him, and on August 20th, 1957, a police magistrate by the name of A.M. Naismith. Wrote an affidavit after investigating Osman's story after it was published. And the police magistrate said of Osman, he said, I found Mr. Osman to be a man of 64 years of age, in full possession of his mental faculties, of pleasant manner, and with a good sense of humor. I questioned Mr. Osman thoroughly in reference to the story given by Mr. Green. I cross examined him and used every means to endeavor to find a flaw in either his personality or his
1: story, but could not find either. Wouldn't that be great if that written testimony was available? between the cop and Albert Osman.
2: It's there. That's that's the quote. Oh right, right. Yeah,
1: yeah, this was this is the affidavit that affidata No, I mean the... it's like is is questioning testimony. Oh him.
2: right. What what the interview actually yeah, the was. Yeah, And then Osman then swore under oath that the story was true and uh stood by the tall tale until he died in 1975. So he actually reported under there's some sort of Canadian law that if you make a test you know, you testify and you make a statement, it's Ill, actually illegal if it turns out to be a lie. And and uh yeah, he's stuck stuck to it his, his whole yeah. life. Um, here is a picture of the old guy, and we'll put this stuff up on Instagram and Facebook.
4: So, did you say that, that this he... is him?
2: Uh, I don't believe that's John Green. I'm not sure who he's speaking to there, but the, but on the right is Osman. He came forward in light of other stories that started yeah, happening. Yeah, because once the story, once the other stories came out, and uh, he decided, well, maybe it's time I tell well, my tale. It,
1: it wasn't just one story. It was like uh, foot tracks were being found, and like other newspapers were reporting. Because on Because the
2: and- forest was starting to get really developed over those three or four decades, and so, so more loggers, out. yeah, are driving them out. They're seeing the tracks, and more and more stuff is happening as as they migrated further and further into as humans. In Industry migrated further and further into the Canadian wilderness. Some of this stuff started – That's this is why this is all happening in the 50s because it's just that point where industry is really starting to get into nature. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, there's obviously – it's a tough story to swallow, but it's fascinating because it is one of the earliest – Uh, encounter stories that we know of and um Lauren Coleman who's a famous cryptozoologist he's revisited this story a bunch of times and he says that when when you get into the details of how he describes the creatures it's very consistent with later eyewitness stuff and coming from a time where he had no references in pop culture and that's why it's a really fascinating story is that he had no references in pop culture at the time uh, of what these things looked like, how they behaved, but it was so it's an early account that was then very consistent with a lot of the Bigfoot mythology that came later so that's Albert Osman's um, such
1: a great so, story yeah that so, is
2: a fantastic so story. So when we come back, we're going to ask you guys what the hell was that Yeah) And we're back, Bigfoot Collectors Club, and now it's the time of the show where we ask our guests...
1: Where we ask our guests to figure out... Yeah,
2: figure this out. What the hell Validate is that? us. Right. What the hell was that, guys? What do you think? What's your take? What's your hot take? It was
4: a great story, first and foremost. Thank you, boys. And well
1: told. Thank you,
2: boys. Agreed.
4: Um, well, it's interesting, because... There's kind of, I guess the um the big early difficulty is the fact that there was such a long amount of time between when it happened and when he reported it.
2: Yep. So was it 20 years? Yeah. Between the two? But I'll just say this without getting too creepy. Mm. We're experiencing a time in our culture where stories stay hidden for a long time until people feel more comfortable about mm. talking them. So, you know. I would love to know a bit more about this dude um, and like his family. Yeah. Stuff like Did that. he
3: have a? Fa- he mustn't have had a family.
2: It didn't seem that the, none of the. Uh... Stories I read talked about who he was married or if he I, had kids or not. If he was out there doing prospecting. Yeah, in the I, I think of the this forest, dude was, was an probably... old-school loner. Yeah. I mean, he really seems like a mountain man type. Yeah. And you see the photos of him as an old man. He just looks like an old, well, old-timer. I
1: want old to preface preface this, too. A lot of these like mountaineers and these these extreme loggers, their word is their bond. So when they come out of these forests and they say things, it means something. You know what I mean? These aren't guys that that you come come home from logging like a, a week's – and just make stuff up, you know? Yeah, yeah. No,
3: their livelihood would depend – like it, you know, it would it be absolutely a conflicting would. experience for him because if he's like – if he raises up what he's just seen,
1: and yeah.
3: everyone's like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll kill him.
1: Well, and in UFO circles too, a lot of – like a, a lot of abduction stories don't come out until like years later or in regressive th- uh, hypnotherapy, so – you know, I mean, there it, it sort of makes sense. Uh, but, yeah, it, it is an interesting fact. See, that after,
2: would... uh, I mean, I think the time thing is interesting, but I justify it as at the time he had no reference point for any of this stuff and he didn't want to look crazy. I want to. And this is a, a very yeah. he's a, I, It's also a time period where it's like you don't stick your neck out and yeah. make a fool of yourself.
3: Yeah, I would like to know, I don't know if there are any accounts of what his actual, his physical appearance was when he emerged upon the his fellow woodsman, you know, right, because right, it's right. like the passage of time is one of the hardest, you know, especially if you're without faculty to tell what's happening. Everyone it's was right. doing it
2: rough at that time, though. Yeah, yes. yeah,
3: but so, you know, like...
2: You're saying uh, during the week that he spent alone uh, or kidnapped yeah, oh, yeah, and, like the, found
3: the loggers... I like, I'd the like to know how haggard he, he, he emerged from, and so the i I might have missed this detail in the story but the his the the sort of tour guide who who wandered with him into the mm-hmm. woods when did when did he oh that's a good question back? so
2: he he was there for like the first night and he headed back and he's he had told uh the plan was uh osman was supposed to be out there for three weeks and so the guide was like i'll come back in three weeks i okay. up here in three
3: weeks and i'll come back and bring so you." so it back wasn't to like town. i'm not sticking around this is freaky stuff it no was like- he,
2: he was just his job was just to get yeah. him into the inlet and sort of like there are some uh there might be some trails around here this is kind of where it's said to be um go go prospect go go on it's i'm not into the you know it wasn't yeah. his job to stick around it was just to get him from lund to the uh, campsite.
1: Yeah, well, you know what I love about it too is there's, a, I mean, kind of the the basic elements are there. Like a, a lot of these kind of Bigfoot incidences, like occur with like you know something messing up the camp at first. You know, one of my favorite stories is is told by an ex president Theodore Roosevelt, and he had a hunt, a hunting book. Um, that he wrote. He was an avid uh, outdoorsman. And, and the story's
2: from like 1894. That's
1: right. And they believe he might have pseudonymed this this story. They they think it might have been actually his account, but it, he he told of a character named Bowman who um, had made camp with a friend. And that night when they set the traps, when they came back from those tramps, just like you said, the, their camp was messed with and things were like, obviously like, you know, things were strewn about. And they They were thinking something must have messed with this. And Anyway, that account goes on to to say that uh, they see this large, you know, creature, this wild, hairy man, and uh, oh my gosh, there's somebody at the stairs. <laughs> it's a beautiful lady. Okay, but whew, that, was, that was pretty scary there a sec. But anyway, uh, and so he he accounts that it, uh, they went to go check the traps again. They were getting quite spooked about it. Um, the next morning, um, they came back and it had happened again one more time. He went out. They're like, let's get out of here. So his friends went to collect the traps. When he came back, his friend was dead on the campsite. On the campsite, he had been thrown around against the trees.
2: Yep. Uh, uh, I've got it right here in a book. When he returned, he found his friend dead with four fang marks on his throat and a broken neck. Yeah. Bauman never got a good look at the beast, and the violent encounter runs counter to most modern descriptions of the gentle giant. Nonetheless, Roosevelt's recounting stands as one of the earliest depictions of a Sasquatch-like entity in oh, the so, U.S. Yeah, when they do you, know? I think he referred to it as a goblin. Yeah, was was that's the, right. Was... This like, was a, this a fictional
4: story that he wrote? No, this no. There this is no like an this account. Is, this of is a
1: hunter's uh, guide, and yeah. there are no fictional stories in that hunter's guide. Yeah, right. These so are all tales story. of his hunting expeditions. And yeah,
2: Roosevelt loved it so much that he put it in his That's book right. about
1: hunting. Right, it's the only right. story in there that sticks out. You know, and and also just as like you know, and in, in these in these old Native American like. Uh, these uh, accounts of, like, what animals they had. They also list, like, the Sasquatch. But there's no other, like, mythological creatures in these, like, accounts. No, it's not of... like
2: there's unicorns in right, there or right. a, like, manticore or anything. Well, the, traditionally, like, yeah.
4: generally speaking, most people seem to have accounts of Sasquatch being quite, um, not, like,
2: friendly but nonviolent, right? Yeah,
1: we seem to be exploring otherwise on this show. <laughs>
2: well, um, but, no, but they, they do seem territorial. Yeah. Right, uh, right. The Patterson-Gimlin film, we think that that was a female... Who was protecting her young in that area, and she was she was kind of telling them to back off because that was that was her stomping ground, so to speak. Yeah.
4: Is, Pet- and is the a- Peterson film not that really super famous one? Yeah, yeah. that's that nineteen
1: sixty seven one where it's that that big, and they 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 think it's a female creature because it has the large. You know, pendulous breasts, and and she's walking across the sandbar, and she gives the look back, and still to this day, I think one of the best pieces of photographic evidence of something in the didn't woods.
4: Didn't the dude claim that he was like part of a special effect? Look at how angry Bryce oh, face
1: oh, got. Oh no, I didn't, no, he, got no, he, did, so he mad. didn't look
4: angry. He didn't look angry.
1: <laughs> no, no. Well, you know, a lot of a lot of people came forward and be like, "Oh, I was in that suit. Oh, I made that suit. Oh, no, that was." That was a suit, you know, so there's a lot of been claims that right. I think have been very well debunked by their, you know, the, there's Bigfooters out there that do a great job at like, you know, um, debunking these guys' story. And look, the, the the main guy, his name, who said he was in the suit, and yes, his walk does look pretty close to that, but if you look at picture of, of him, his name is Bob Hieronymus. if you look at a picture of him... When he at that time in 1967, he's he's a, he's like a 90 pound sack wet. So I mean, right. it's like he's a skinny guy. He's not gonna get in that suit and have those th- buttocks and those thighs. Oh, and he said, oh, and we put on a shoulder pads and a football helmet too. And it's like, I don't think so, buddy. Yeah, fuck you, Bob. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: Guy, what, what do you think? Do you believe
1: the story? Or do you think it's I, a tall uh,
3: Well, I I don't think that I'm a skeptic. I'm open to uh, everything existing. Uh, but that was in terms of I was because I again as as I said when I was racking my brains for any sort of paranormal or experiences or such, I, I was sort of coming up empty. But that was by way of your by virtue of storytelling, the most uh, immersed and sort of. You know, uh, convinced by the notion that this could have happened, I've been for a while. I mean, I I, I just don't quite understand the 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 big. F- what was the, points. what is the intended purpose of Bigfoot? Drag you know, like if they're just going to bring him back and sort of treat? I guess you know, as you said, treat him like a pet, but. That they seem, in other accounts and stories, to be very um, reclusive and sort of quite shy with regards to being seen and and uh, hang out with people. So, what would prompt one to to completely flip the playbook?
1: It's a great question.
3: I mean, maybe it was that maybe that pop of
2: Bigfoot for just. Going down that thread was like, man, I, I want, I want to see what one of these things is. If he had watched him for a couple of nights as well, like the yeah. return to camp to keep mucking around with
4: his food and everything, yeah. maybe he got sort of more and more comfortable and thought that the thing was really Well, and, well and,
1: let so, just, and let me just let me just also say, you know, Native Americans have lore and mythology of people being taken from there and go never coming back. So this isn't like. Out of like left field as far as indigenous peoples goes, I mean they, they they state things of big hairy creatures take their kids and they never return. You know, so it's not the first account of like a, a large a hairy abduction. creature taking abducting. someone, abducting. Ab- abducting someone. You know,
3: I guess because he does escape at the end of the story, doesn't it? It's yeah. not like they go, okay, we've had our fun with you, you're, you're free to go home. Yeah, yeah. no, he was not al- allowed
2: and to you know, leave.
1: To add to this snuff thing, I was I was just shooting something where I had to play a character who smoked, and. Two or three or four drags of that cigarette, and I used to be small, but I went white, and I went, yeah. and I was on the ground. I could not move, and I was like, literally "I think I like, tried
2: dip once in like high school." or So college I know and what it's that's the like. Grossest. Thing. You're done. You're out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you don't so care if, you if you're ate, human pedicure. If, if you ate an entire tin <laughs> of that stuff, you cleaned it out. He said he licked it clean. Right. It's interesting as well. Like
4: I just I'm um, finished reading this this book uh, called Sapiens, which kind of tracks the whole history of humankind basically from our evolutionary start point and it talks a lot about when we were scavengers so mm-hmm. pre um agricultural revolution which from memory was like I think it was like thirteen thousand years ago. But up until was so probably, you know, twelve thousand nine hundred and ninety nine years. <laughs> He's been yeah. proved exactly. close, yeah, that's, that's right. right. Um but we would Rolled around everywhere and 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 just go wherever the food source was. But b- before we kind of got wheat and domesticated wheat and then started protecting the fields and built our whole culture around wheat, we could eat anything. Yeah, and and like so, I'm I'm interested about that kind of like the physiology of um these Sasquatch creatures being out there. Do you reckon they've got like? Way more iron stomachs than we oh, have. yeah, and, they have. You know, to. I was at the zoo. I was
1: at the zoo the other day, and when you look at the forearms on a gorilla, it, they, you know they are eight times the strength of a human being. You know what I mean? It's and big they, for and
3: yourself. It, <laughs> <laughs> and
2: they're they're uh, they're they eat a lot of vegetation. They're omnivores. Yeah. They eat a lot
1: of plants, berries. They forage for you know small woodland creatures. I mean, they'll eat anything, and they can eat anything. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, I have no problem with thinking oh, how a uh, family Bigfoot could survive off the forest in British Columbia.
4: But then getting taken down by some, uh, by some snuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: some man-made tobacco. This, does yeah. have a, a, this whole story has a, the ring of a good grandfather's yarn, you know? like it, And so mm-hmm. there might be embellishments in this story, I think, as well. But I, I don't know. Um, unfortunately, we're running out of time. We've got to come back real quick with our collector segment. Uh, we'll be right back welcome back bigfoot collectors club we're in the studio with tim bat and guy montgomery guys it is a collector's club do you did you guys ever collect anything
3: i was big on uh yeah i was a real completionist when i was a younger boy for collecting when you'd buy uh chips you call them chips yeah yeah uh like potato chip yeah yeah but not hot no, not a, not a French fry. No. And I you, do wish
2: you had collected French fries because
3: that would have probably
2: been a better story. I
3: don't think I would get to be in the room if I had been collecting <laughs> French fries. I don't think I make it out of New Zealand. Um, but no, in, in the crisps packets, there was this really amazing series called Oddbods. I've heard about this. And have odd, you?
2: Yeah. That's yeah. incredible.
3: Yeah. I, I, Oddbods are like these sort of crazy alien style mm-hmm. characters who would. Little and that, miniatures, and right? If, yeah. It, or no, there would be, you know, it'd be a card like maybe... It's like a collector's uh, card. That, that size yeah. there. And there'd be, uh, you know, the, the, some of them had funny names. One of them was called, I think, IP Freely. Yeah. And yeah. uh, that was, you know, that's that's a good I laugh. I think they
2: talk about these in the Garbage Pail Kids documentary about the uh, the art from the Garbage Pail oh. Kids series. That's where I've heard I I about this. That makes sense.
3: It's very
4: much in that world of the kind of bubblegum sticker yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah.
3: But so, you know, and you'd, some of them... These were like these were ca- real capital on the playground. Oh know? my and god, they were like cigarettes in prison. Right, they yeah, really right. And some of them would have a the the ones that you really wanted would be hot that and would have a little patch on it where you'd rub it and you heating it up would like reveal an oh, Easter yeah. egg, you oh, know, extra cool. detail a little hologram on the card. like the yeah.
2: Transformers toy. Yeah, but so
3: this was a promotion that a chip company ran where you'd you'd have to buy like a twelve pack of you know little bags of chips that you'd put in the school lunches. You know, and, and you'd, today
1: you probably get a fucking fake tattoo, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that, man. Yeah,
3: and the tattoos, you know, it's pretty like a borderline. Little, yeah, It's right. just a star. God. yeah, With uh, no personality. But, you know, if, over the course of, I think, one full year on the playground through sort of, you know, scrimping and bartering and whatnot, I got the whole set of odd bods into it. And there was a folder, a collector's folder where you'd, wow. keep, you'd keep them all. And Do it was, you still have it? No. So, I'd, oh, I I'm, my my memory fails me, but I'm pretty confident. A guy whose name should I say his name? Who I think it was? He might be a yeah, grown up it. with a life you now. Name I might him, shame be. Him. I might be lying though. But his name was fucking Andrew. What do you, what do Andrew do? <laughs> he well, I'm so he sure stole he stole the folder. Yeah, but it's
1: payback time, Andrew. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, right, right, right,
3: that didn't bury my desire to collect. But I was like, ah, oh, there's... That's like a year's work. Just You know what's So, wow.
2: like, you spent, uh, like, a year building capital amongst friends. Yeah. And then it just Big one guy on takes you down. One guy takes you down behind your back.
3: But it was, I remember, like, I, I was, and I was collecting little figurines of, like, the rugby union players. I found I've got a bunch of those back home still. I got quite a lot of my older little toys. In New Zealand, it's harder, I think, especially in the world of not toys and whatnot, to, to truly, you know, wind up with a serious collection by comparison to America, where it's like you'd see in TV shows and movies, all the kids' bedrooms, you'd be like, I want to be in that f- room. Right. You know? Right. I doubt they've got snakes in the toilet next to that <laughs> bedroom. We've well, got less stuff. I'm saying, there, saying there's
1: only like... so much you could do.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Tim, what about you?
1: Um... You're a simple boy
2: with simple pleasures. I am a simple boy. Yeah, I, <clears throat> this is just kind of fresh in my mind. You don't seem like somebody who gets
4: carried away with stuff. I think I do, and that's why I have to run in the opposite Got direction it. because I know that I have a predilection for that. Yeah, this is like why I don't play computer games so much anymore. Because I, 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 if I find one that really gets me, I'm like that is, you know, it's a real over. blow to productivity and personal relationships. I can tell you, um, but. The one thing that I was thinking about was uh, I was kind of a weird teenager. Like I had a a set of – I've always been a fan of weird technology of either that didn't quite work or someone doing something completely different to everyone else. So um, mini-discs. Was like a thing that I really I got fucked into with as a kid. too. Mini discs, oh, dude! What a mistake! <laughs> got it, boys, great. yeah.
1: What is a mini disc? So, and I think I should know, but I don't. There were these things
4: that um, I think Sony was really the the big corporation that developed the original idea, but then a whole bunch of people jumped in and Panasonic were making them, and in heaps of different audio companies, uh, um, consumer
1: electronics companies. They were like tiny CDs, right? They were,
4: and they were in a square case. Yeah, and inside and the used square to draw case the was coolest the
1: coolest pictures and uh, on the. It was all stuff. part
4: of it. It yeah. was very like it was kind of a cassette culture sort of a thing because it was like this cartridge physical thing uh, you could yeah. hold in your hand.
2: And I but had a it folder was, for
4: those too. For what? For my mini discs. I had a little zip case that I put all my mini dope. discs in. They were so the actual the device itself, and I think I owned uh, over my teenage years about six different units because they would get upgraded with slightly better features, right. or I would break one or lose one or whatever. But I spent so much money <laughs> getting new ones. But they were they were really really cool and they came out just before iPods did. Yep. and then MP3s destroyed it. Uh, it. MP3s did destroy it, but it was only like it was mainly Sony's fault for that because they insisted that you use this um, software which transferred the audio tracks from a normal format like MP3 right. to whatever the mini got share. And it was like a copy protection thing which Sony's always done a t- like a very heavy handed job. Riley, with. did you
2: get into mini discs? It, yeah, thumbs up.
1: The sound engineer,
4: silent, fuck with silent them. hero. That, that software though, it was called Sonic Stage, and I'll never forget it because I think I broke three separate family computers because it was oh, the most no. garbage piece of software, and it fucking tanked a whole technology because Sony learnt the lesson. After so, then the iPod comes out, gets hugely successful, and then Sony's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, you can put MP3s on there now." And everyone's like, "We've fucking moved on." We're like, out. Yeah but i had i had a whole bunch of them and the music that i would predominantly predominantly listen to was 8 uh, bit music which is people who would hack um, game boys and yeah. super nintendos and use the original chips to get like the authentic sound and program songs using oh, using really that cool. technology that's in the hardware i used to fuck with that in a big way really yeah. do you have your greatest hits album there was um there was a there was a phenomenal website called 8 org, and this was like kind of you know, not the first days of the internet, but earlier times for the internet for sure. And there was just like a great forum of dedicated people there and they would always... The whole culture as well meant that everything was shared for free. Like you would never have to pay for or pirate an 8-bit album because the whole thing was about like repurposing old technology and just getting your art out there. Cool. So... Many days are
2: done, dude.
4: Wow. Collected them and 8-bit music back awesome. in the day.
2: Well, I have something that I want to share with you guys today, and I know we're running long, but it's been such a pleasure to have you boys it here. Has. You're good boys. We love you Thank boys. you. are good boys, too. It's been so, so wonderful being <laughs> oh, here. Oh,
1: nice. So
2: I don't know if you know about <laughs> the jackalope. <laughs> oh, oh, my, come God. on. <laughs> this is a stuffed jackalope head that my sister gave me for Christmas a couple of years ago. This was made in South Dakota. And the jackalope is a mythological.
1: <laughs> this is why your father is laughing,
2: <laughs> Oh, my dad loved the jackalope. Oh, I bet. Uh, but this, these were. Uh, this is a rabbit with antler heads. And it was it was sort of like uh, it was like, huge. Yeah, it was huge. It was like a thing that started happening in the fifties, forties, fifties. It was just a little taxidermy trick, and and then uh, it became so popular. The jackalope became so popular. I think at one point they were talking like in South Dakota about making it the state uh, mythological animal. <laughs> Wow.
1: Did not it have like it had its own cartoon series or two, something? Too. Yeah. Like,
2: so there, there you can go on the internet and find all these photographs of jackalopes in the wild. And they, yeah. they would sell them at truck stops and little uh, souvenir sh- stops along the freeways. And, and trick, you know, it'd be it's kind of a so thing where cool. passengers would be like, do these things really exist? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, it's a jackalope. <laughs>
1: this is why everybody's so confused. <laughs> I know.
2: Exactly. Um, before we go, Boys, where can we find you? And are, do you have anything to plug? This is coming out in a couple of weeks, weeks. So this is mid-December.
3: Right. First of all, I'd say thank you so much for the jacket. right? Oh, you. No, you're not keeping that. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. No, no wait. That's awesome, okay, I can't can
2: wait, have, wait to take that back to New That's Zealand. really
4: cool. <laughs> um, no, I Customs am... will have a bloody
3: field. <laughs> day. Trying it's to get the new knife. You yeah. can make
2: that the new knife. <laughs> if you listen to their podcast, you know what
3: I'm saying. Uh, so I am on Twitter and Instagram at guy underscore mont and... Everything I do of interest or note will probably appear there at some point, so that's sort of a, a, a free one. And
2: the worst idea of all di- time is now done. That's right. But so you y- guys are still going to find well, it's Well, it's done, it's done it's in its done-ish. current form.
3: Yeah. Okay. There's
4: stuff that will go up on the stream from us. Okay,
2: good. Is Friend Zone, you guys k- going to keep doing the Friend Zone episodes?
3: I think so. Good. We're bad we, at planning. We, we need planning. to. Well,
2: that's a, that's <laughs> fine.
3: Yeah, you're, you're forcing us to make plans on yeah. the fly right, <laughs> right. <now.
2: Yeah.
3: laughs> um, And I am...
4: Uh, on twitter tim great. underscore bat b-a-t-t great. and i've got a comedian page on facebook where i do gigs and stuff but i'm in new zealand so i mean chances are i'm just playing the guys, numbers game here. we have
2: listeners in new zealand we do or we do i've, I've l- seen the demographics see the so yeah in Auckland, Plug away. Some, some yeah point. go to Auckland. i want to come visit you guys well you're not there anymore you're in new york guys so but i'm gonna come i'm gonna to come to new zealand sometime and yeah,
3: you're gonna stay in my spare room yeah baby. it's gonna be great let's do it i've stayed in there it's good to go <laughs> uh, Bryce, where can people find you?
1: At Twitter, uh, at Bryce O. Johnson And on Instagram, at Mr. Bryce Johnson
2: Great, and I'm at McMills on everything And uh, before we go, I want to thank always Our beautiful and silent sound engineer, Riley Bray Yeah. And I want to thank uh, Sun Eaters, the band And Lotuspool Records for our music from the song Come Alone Awesome. Bye guys. Thank you. Thanks again guys. Have fun. Thank Thank you. you.